Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So very excited about our guest today. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable journey. You know, again, you know, I've seen a lot, you know, people that go into the army, you know, that the, that the discipline, the, the work ethic is absolutely mind-blowing. And I think that the story of our guest today, you're going to find it super inspiring. And again, you know, when it comes to building, scaling, financing, all the good stuff that we like to hear. So Without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Barrett Bilota. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alejandro. It's great to be here. So originally born, you know, and raised there in Massachusetts. You know, you grew up uh, out of the suburbs, you know, out of uh, Boston. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Sure, absolutely. So, yes, I grew up in a, a, a small town called Westford, Massachusetts. I'm an only child. Uh, ended up kind of getting into sports at an, an early age and uh, primarily hockey uh, as a goaltender, which, you know, looking back on it was one of the the most important things in terms of being able to deal with a lot of the stress and in the environment that exists within within running a business. Uh, ended up going to uh, UNH, getting a degree in, in political science. But during my tenure at UNH, between my freshman and sophomore year, I ended up enlisting within the Coast Guard Reserve, uh, went down to uh, New Jersey for basic training during that in-between summer and uh, got a lot of discipline and, and, and saw a lot of new people from all over the country that, that really gave me a lot of perspective on, on, on the good people of the U.S. and, and a lot of the counterparties that wanted to go ahead and serve the country. Because again, that was just a couple of years after September 11th. And what, what, what was the trigger for that, Barrett? I mean, what triggered you to say, I want to enlist? You know, what, what, what was that, uh, you know, the sequence? Absolutely. I mean, so I have come from a, a family that has a long lineage of military service. And I think it was definitely something that my father had encouraged. And I had always looked up to individuals that had served their country, uh, whether it was a career or just doing the four years, and felt that it was it was the right thing to do, um, both from a personal standpoint as well as you know from a patriotic standpoint at the time. And I, I also had the thought after you know coming out of Boy Scouts and being an Eagle Scout that this was just kind of a natural progression in terms of a lot of the skills that I had learned in the Scouts, and um, wanted to kind of go ahead and, and put those to work and kind of continue on with that, uh, with that, that service aspect. And, and in, I ended up, you know, when I got back from basic, from the Coast Guard, that next year, I ended up actually transitioning into the Army National Guard and ROTC, primarily because at that time, they, they were offering a much better deal in terms of uh, financing for college. You know, it was it was one of those things where I had to pay my own way, uh, whether it was loans or savings or whatnot. And it was just a, a kind of an offer that I was like, well, I got it. I got to do this. This just makes too much sense. And so throughout my college uh, time for sophomore through senior year, I was in the National Guard as well as in the ROTC program. 
And then in our, uh, and then in 2007, I when I graduated, I was commissioned as a as a second lieutenant um, in the army. And from that point on, um, you know, started to do some active service and, and get trained up as a logistics officer. And while that was all going on, I still had a proclivity specifically to business and always had an interest in kind of making money in, in doing doing deals, so to speak. And so towards my junior, senior year of college and then right thereafter, I ended up acquiring uh, a bunch of a bunch of units that were around uh, the University of New Hampshire to rent as student housing. And that was back in the day when it was the subprime loan go go days and they were just giving out money to uh, pretty much anybody. And the, the good news was, is that all of those all of those deals were able to pay the mortgage. It was there was no failure there, even though, believe it or not, the interest rates on those properties were close to 13 percent. Which is wow. which I think about that now, and it's 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 crazy to think about. Yeah. And so I always had, you know, while I was in the army, kind of this ongoing property business with a few units, helped to pay the bills, you know, just trying to build a little bit of equity and everything. And what what ended up happening is when I was done my active uh, portion of service with the army and had transitioned full time into the National Guard, I ended up joining a small tech company called Dexrex out of Amherst, uh, Massachusetts with two close friends that I went to high school with. And this was all for about archiving instant messages and text messages and those types of things and then converting it into like an email format, primarily for archiving. And in doing that, I ended up meeting my, my business partner today named Ken Rubin, who was at that time a senior vice president over at Iron Mountain um, on the digital archiving side of the business who became on our board of directors uh, around 2010. And when Dexrex ended up winding down and we sold that company it, towards mid 2011, uh, Ken and I were just talking and he was asking, he's like, hey, what do you, what do you wanna do? Like, what do you, what, what, what's your plan? And I said, I don't know, I'm, I'm really kind of interested in the student housing it's made it's you know it's always paid the bills all the way through the recession i feel like it's a really good asset class to continue to invest into and ken was like hey this sounds great let me go ahead and raise some money from some friends and family i'll get the money you go ahead and and run it and so we ended up acquiring several properties in durham new hampshire between that 2011 to 2013 time frame and then, frankly, ended up stumbling on a really big opportunity in downtown Durham, New Hampshire, that ended up becoming a property called Madbury Commons, which was a, a 225,000 square foot uh, redevelopment of, of downtown Durham. And so that was actually the precipice for us getting into the energy business, because as that construction of that big project was going on around 2014, 2015, that was when some of the solar initiatives and programs were uh, becoming you know, law in New Hampshire. And so all of a sudden we started to have these solar developers approach us and say, hey, can you lease us your roof? We'd like to lease your roof. And, and we said, well, geez, I, okay, that, that sounds interesting. I, we weren't gonna do anything with the roof otherwise. So this is kind of like found money. And it made us go ahead and do a deeper dive into that business model. Of, of solar energy. 
And um, that's uh, Agilitas, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. I want to double-click here on a few things, you know, that you mentioned, because I think they're, they're, like, really interesting. So one is, you know, one that comes to mind is what kind of, obviously, when you are in the Army, you know, you, you develop this absolutely incredible discipline. How do you think that that discipline, you know, translates into being an entrepreneur and running a business? Great question. I would say the the first thing is that number one, the military definitely goes ahead and starts to format, you know, what your daily routine is going to be based on a, a variety of aspects of of the job that you're in, and so in in being an officer and specifically being younger than a lot of the individuals that you're going ahead and in in commanding or in charge of number 1 you need to learn how to communicate with people that are more your senior and be able to uh listen to their ideas and their points of view as they've been in the military longer than you but at the end of the day you still have to have that the authority to go ahead and say, this is, this is what we're going to do. And so that was like a huge learning experience um, in terms, in terms of being able to deal with people that have their own points of view that are coming from all different walks of life and have had many different experiences than you've had in your life. And being able to kind of traverse that environment was, was hugely important in terms of helping me become like more of a dynamic individual because at the end of the day, you know, in business, and, and you're well aware of this, you know, we're meeting so many different people that that have all different experiences, all different points of view, they have different personality types, and you have to be able to kind of mold and mend things together to get the mission done. And I would say that the military, number one, had made me able to do that at a very young age. Um, and, you know, the other thing is just getting into that daily, that daily kind of routine and cadence to be able to take on the day and take on new things that are going to get thrown at you that you have no expectation that they're coming out with. You know, that also was really learned in the military, at least from my perspective, being able to be calm, cool and collected and deal with the issue that you had no idea was going to be an issue today. But guess what? Now it's an issue and now we have to deal with it. And we, we're going to tackle the bull by the horns. I would say that had, had been instilled in me, number one, by my father, and then number two, confirmed by, by my military experience. So let's talk about that, tackling the bull by the horns. I mean, I find that in business, you either succeed or you learn, you know, period. Because, I mean, really, when things don't fall the way that you wanted them to be, you know, it's like where you really, you know, get to learn, you know, and get to grow. And you typically don't learn anything from your successes. But, you know, I guess, you know, with your experience with the instant messaging company, with Dexrex, you know, obviously, you know, it didn't unfold the way that you had hoped for. But what was the takeaway, you know, from that? I mean, what, what did you really learn from, from, from that experience? Absolutely. Great question. What I would say my number one takeaway from that was to have a clear strategy and vision. In particular, with a software company and with clients of a software company, they're always asking for new features, more things. And we just had the experience there that we were trying to do everything to please everyone. And at that, and that resulted in kind of scope creep and trying to, to do too much with too little. 
And that was just, that's what really became a problem there. Um, trying to integrate with all these different platforms, having a development team that's obviously very small, um, but trying to keep them on a you know, certain task and path. And I think that that kind of gets back to like, we have the things that are important and then we have the things that are urgent. And the client's always going to say, all of these things are urgent, but they may not actually be important to the business and the strategy of your organization. And so I was really young. You know, I was, I was in my, my early 20s slash mid 20s at that time, and I had never done anything like that. And I also don't envision myself as, as, a, as a software guy per se. And that was just something that in looking back from uh, where, you know, where we came from, that's something that I would have changed. And, and one of the things that I focused on in going, going forward on my other ventures. And then the other thing that I would just go ahead and say is that all capital is not the same. There is definitely a huge amount of value in making sure that the investors within your company or the investors that we're seeking, you know, have other value just other than money because money is is fluid and it's interchangeable and lots of different people or organizations have that but there's particular people that can add value to the business and we should have sought those individuals out harder at Dexrex to go ahead and kind of smooth the edges and probably provide some of that guidance that you know would have helped us succeed versus having to to go ahead and shut it down now with uh, with Madbury, you know, which is the operation that you have going on for the real estate. I mean, obviously, you know, it has been developing over the years since you were at the army and you started getting a few properties and and now I mean, you guys are like managing hundreds, you know, of them. Uh, you know, really nice operation and obviously this operation led to what you're doing now, you know, with Agilitas, you know, which is like this a uh, a rocket ship, you know, that thing that you guys are building, you were alluding to it earlier on how, you know, you listen to the market. And by listening to the market and listening to the inbound, you know, queries that you were getting around the the interest in using, you know, some of your properties for solar, you know, development and, and things of that nature, you know, it made you think. It made you think that there was something else that you guys could be doing that you were not doing. So, so what was that thought process of figuring things out and coming to the realization that, hey, I think that we got something of value. I think we can realize more out of this. But most importantly, there is an initiative here that we are not really capitalizing on. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. Big picture, you know, in thinking about real estate development and solar energy development we could understand even with having no knowledge on how solar energy works in the development process of solar energy, that it's pretty synergistic in terms of the skill set to go ahead and get, say, an apartment building approved through the municipality and all the various authorities having jurisdiction versus a solar array getting approved through that same municipality, right? And so we were, you know, when you think about real estate development, it's obviously a very dynamic, uh, industry. There's always a lot of people that are opposing development for whatever reason. And there's construction costs that need to be dealt with. There's other problems with like easements or title or what have you. As with any type of item that's getting built on real property, these, these issues are 
all over the place. And so solar energy in a lot of ways is very similar to that skill set that makes a successful real estate developer. It's just that the product in particular that we're selling to the marketplace is different. We're not renting uh, units anymore. We're now selling kilowatt hours. And so that was the original thought process in terms of why this was interesting. And then when we started to dig a little bit deeper, we started to understand that number one, at the time, the state of New Hampshire was putting in place a net metering program that allows kilowatt hours to get sold at what we would call the standard retail rate in the marketplace. So whatever your utility is charging, we're getting paid that same amount, coupled with the investment tax credit from the federal government that also just added more fuel to the fire. And when we started to run some of these pro formas and, and dig a little deeper, we started to see that, wow, this is starting to get very attractive, similar to finding a good real estate deal. And no one else is really doing this in New Hampshire. So we should probably go ahead and, and take a really hard look at it. And, and that's when we started to go ahead and partner with some other companies in that marketplace uh, to do some solar development, primarily in New Hampshire. And that was around 2014. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So I guess for the people that they are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Agilitas? How do you guys make money? Fast forwarding to today, we develop, which is we permit solar energy, energy storage projects, and then solar plus energy storage projects primarily. And when, I, when we say permit, we bring them to what is a status of shovel ready, meaning ready to go ahead and start construction. We also buy a lot of projects that are either pre-shovel ready or are shovel ready and that we just know that we can make it better than what the current developer is doing. We also, and so th that, that obviously has inherent value. Those, those permits, those entitlements, those rights for those projects have, have value because most of the projects that we're doing 
are coming with what's called a power purchase agreement or a state type program in which the utility is buying all of the energy that your solar array can produce for the next 20, 25 years and so on and so forth. So you already know who your counterparty is from the revenue perspective, which is one of the great things, at least with, with the majority of solar projects that we're doing. We also internally in our company have our own EPC group, which stands for Engineering, Procurement and Construction. We do all of our own designs and engineering, all the procurement of like the solar panels and the other major capital equipment. And then we actively manage the construction of our projects. And so we earn fees in doing that as well. And then the third leg of our business is the asset management group, which is in a lot of ways, um, some of the most dynamic in terms of the day-to-day operations, because that group is primarily, number one, operating all of our operating fleet on a day-to-day basis, but they are actually also in what we would call the merchant electricity markets, like ISO New England or New York ISO, which are the actual transmission operators bidding and forecasting our battery systems in and out of the marketplace. There's there's multiple different markets. Just think of it just like a like a stock market exchange, if you will, just for electricity. And we're we're trading electricity. We're in frequency regulation, uh, which is a, a different type of uh, market where we're stabilizing the fluctuation of the grid on any given hour um, because the the grid itself needs to go ahead and maintain a frequency. Uh, that that's carried throughout the entire grid. Otherwise, you start to have a lot of problems with rolling blackouts and, and things like that. And so, you know, those are the three main pillars. And then, of course, we go ahead and we also put in place all the financing for these projects, which unfortunately is very complicated uh, for energy projects because there there are tax attributes or specifically this product called tax equity where we have large corporations or banks that just want to invest in a deal to buy the tax credits to offset their tax liability, which is a lot of structuring and and, and things like that. So those are the main pillars in terms of how Agilitas Energy earns money. And then, of course, on the projects that we do end up uh, bringing to fruition in terms of completion, we own a substantial portion of those projects with our investor. So when we think about Agilitas Energy, unlike a lot of the market that exists today, we really look at ourselves as a clean energy company trying to take in and be in all areas of the value chain, where most companies in the marketplace that are of similar size to ourselves are only in one particular aspect of the value chain, whether it's just development, meaning they just want to go ahead and get those permits and then sell those permits to somebody else, or just EPC or just asset management. We're trying to go ahead and create something that is doing everything clean energy for these types of projects. And ideally, we're soup to nuts in terms of of how we monetize them and and create value. Now, in terms of the capitalizing the business, I mean, how much capital have you guys raised to date for this? Yeah, so big picture, our equity investment that happened May of last year was around $350 million. And that's bifurcated between what we would call corporate capital, as well as project equity capital. And I I would just differentiate that by saying, when we have a project that is shovel ready, there is a much lower cost of capital that wants to get into that project. 
uh, versus taking the development risk that exists or taking construction risk that exists within the marketplace. So in a lot of ways, the way that we go ahead and, and recycle our capital is primarily by by spending the money at risk to develop a project. And then once that project is shovel ready, we're then selling that into a specific project holding company where that holding company has a lower cost of equity than say our development capital. And then that project um, is then uh, financed through our debt, our tax equity, which we're, we're in the marketplace raising all the time. Um, and so what that really does is it goes ahead and it, it allows for the investor, which is in both segments of the business on the development side with us, as well as in the project holding company with us, because we own a substantial amount of that project holding company, it allows them to go ahead and diversify what they've invested in, as well as allocate investment capital from their investors that maybe are looking for more of a clipping a coupon type return versus a, a bigger uh, return on is investing in the actual, say, equity or cap table of Agilitas Energy Inc., which is which is much more like a like a startup type uh, multiple effect in terms of what we're trying to do here. And and I would just say that you know over the course of of the several years, because we are truly an infrastructure type company in dealing with building these projects, which are expensive and suck up a lot of capital. You know we've raised hundreds of millions of dollars of project level financing as well over the past years. Um, you know that that being construction debt, permanent debt, tax equity, and everything in between. But really, the investment that happened in 22 is kind of hitting that five to seven year horizon and adding fuel in the tank that allows us to be able to do hundreds of megawatts uh, per year in getting them through the, the life cycle that, that exists today in terms of development to construction to turn on. Um, it's, been, it's been quite exciting. Now, now, one thing here that uh, that I know you know has been very important to you guys as the experience of raising money is the you know putting that that uh, highlight on relationships. So, why were relationships so important to you as part of this fundraising journey? So, we started out in call it the tail end of twenty twenty one figuring out that we could not go ahead and grow Agilitas Energy on organic equity anymore. It was one of the things that the real estate business had been funding the energy business, and we had sold off assets that were operating uh, in 2020, made a good profit on those assets, but reinvested all the proceeds back into the business of Agilitas Energy to go ahead and work on the next portfolio. And that next portfolio was growing so fast and getting so large that we could no longer spoon feed it anymore. It was just too difficult. And so we went out and did a small syndication of um, talking with a variety of investors, all institutional, a lot of the big names, looking to see what was the appetite to invest in Agilitas Energy and what we were doing. And, you know, Alejandro, I'll tell you, I was blown away in terms of the reception that we got. Uh, we, everybody wanted to do a deal. It was at a peak type moment for clean energy 
in 2022. You could just see that people were just not as excited about oil and gas anymore, and people had energy dollars that they had to allocate somewhere, which still exists today on on the uh, on the back of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that was passed in August. So it was just it was just the right time to get out there, and. When we were doing that, we had sold our portfolio of operating solar projects to Carval in 2020, and I had always, you know, had a great relationship with uh, one of the individuals over there that was the lead on that deal. And so Derek and myself had continued talking, have a very cordial relationship, and I had mentioned to him that we were looking to raise money and that we were looking to go ahead and make a big time go of this and explained to him what our current portfolio looked like. He was obviously extremely excited. And in any type of deal where there's a, a buyer and a seller that's, that's you know, a large deal and is super complicated, there's people that do what they say they're going to do. And then there's people that say one thing and don't end up living up to their word. And I can just tell you that that was we had such a good experience that first time around that that really meant a lot to us because look, as an entrepreneur and not having investors in your company and then making that leap of faith to go ahead and take in capital, especially institutional capital, you don't have any idea what that counterparty is going to be like the day after you close. You know, obviously they want to get the deal done, but then things change three weeks in when they're asking you a bunch of crazy questions or they're going to put enormous reporting requirements on you or they just have a different plan. And so that's a that's a lot of trust to go ahead and do that. Um, and so when we were evaluating essentially the five offers that we got, I would say the number one most important thing between myself, my CFO, and uh, the the two other major owners of the the company, Ken and Eamon, who are both my, my our partners in in Madbury, put relationships as being one of the top uh, things that we wanted to have. Is that we know that we have a counterparty that is trustworthy, that's going to do right by us, and that we're not going to be in this tumultuous relationship where the company wants to do one thing, but the investor wants to do something different. And so we ended up picking Carval. Uh, and closed with them about six months later in May of of 2022. Now, with that being said, they hit all the numbers that we wanted to do too. So that was the added benefit. They did the deal we wanted to do, and we knew that we had the benefit the the, ben- the benefit of having gone around the track with them once before in 2020. And I can I can tell you, you know, at, in February of 2023, I, I couldn't think more highly of the team over there and how our relationship has grown. And I just think that, you know, again, getting back to, to making the selection based on relationships, you know, we, we have a shared vision and they are the type of organization in their actions that are going to support everything that we want to do as a company. And they do truly believe in us, which I think in general is sometimes harder to find within the private equity market Specifically because like, look, we're all getting out of bed in the morning to make money, especially on the investor side. They want to go ahead and they want to hit their hurdle rates. They want to get investors return of capital uh, and meet expectations and all those types of things. And and so to go ahead and have to deal with that, I'm saying from, from a Carvel perspective, 
but then also go ahead and think about what is the best thing for Agilitas Energy is a balancing act. And it's it's been working out great so far. So I, I, can, I can just, you know, tell you that the relationship matters and the counterparty really does matter. Love it. Now, for the uh, people that are listening to get an understanding on the scope and size of Agilitas today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else? Absolutely. So we've, we've always kept a very lean headcount. So, you know, in 2021, we ended the year with 17 employees. Wow. By the end of 2022, we were 30 employees. We're going to grow to about 50 employees this year. And we're doing projects you know, all over the country. Uh, we've got projects under construction pretty much in every state of New England, as well as New York. We're working on on our first few Texas-based assets as well as we expand our national geography. And we're actually also looking at um, entering into new asset classes, specifically hydroelectric power, which we find to be very synergistic with uh, energy storage. And so, you know, in general, We've been growing without getting into uh, specifics in, in terms of the actual dollars but we, of revenue. We've been growing revenues probably about um, 400% year over year um, because we've just, again, continued to explode uh, with the amount of projects and volume that we're doing. And this year, based on our FY23 projections, which can always change, we know how projections are, we're going to have a banner year. Uh, in terms of the growth uh, of the company and in terms of everything that we're doing. So, you know, we're just, we're, from my standpoint, we just want to go ahead and continue doing good deals one by one, building the fleet of operating projects incrementally because there's never, it's very rare you find the Grand Slam home run deal. Although I'd like to think we have a couple of them, but when we go ahead and we amalgamate enough of those projects and we continue to expand everything that we're doing outside of, of New England through the rest of the country and have that repeatable business model that we're already doing just in new places, you really do end up having an, an organization that has tremendous value, uh, whether it's to the public markets or to another energy company that exists in the marketplace. Like We, we like to envision ourselves as, as being the experts in energy storage and how we can be dynamic in connecting energy storage with all these clean forms of, of power generation. So that's, you know, we're just gonna, we keep our heads down and that's what we keep focusing on to go ahead and, and grow the business with the, with the right people in the right roles. Now, as we're talking about growth trajectory here, you know, this leads me to believe into, you know, the next question that I wanted to ask you, and that is, if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Agilitas is fully realized, what does that world look like? I've never been asked that question before. That, that vision is that we are either continuing on as a larger private company or a public company continuing to bring renewable energy assets to the marketplace to go ahead and transition our grid from fossil fuels to, to clean energy. And we're doing it in a way that is responsible, meaning that we are figuring out how to deal with the intermittent nature of clean energy generation by using batteries or other technologies to go ahead and smooth out those peaks of generation when there is no generation so that the grids, the utilities, and most important, the consumer does not need to worry about 
whether or not there's going to be a rolling blackout or whether or not power prices are going to shoot to the moon because there's a scarcity. That's that's really what we want to go ahead and do. Um, and also, we want to put people to work with all of our projects. You know, we we talk about the headcount of Agilitas Energy, but we are hiring hundreds of electricians, uh, site work, labor, other things throughout these projects because we are truly building, putting steel in the ground and building this infrastructure, which is always a benefit not only to those uh, trades but also to the communities that they're getting put in and that, you know, these are property tax paying um, entities, you know, or, or, or projects. They're not sending more kids to the school or requiring too many more services from police or fire. They're just one of the things that exists where we're able to take a valuable asset to the whole grid in the whole community, but also able to share in that value creation with the local community as well. And we're able to do that both from a taxpaying perspective, but also with a lot of our projects, we're able to offer discounts on electricity, on our community solar projects, and that's primarily going to, to local residents and small business, specifically in Massachusetts, which a bunch of the programs um, incentivize that. Now, you know, we're talking about the future, but I want to talk about now about the past with a lens of reflection. If I was to put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time, you know, back in time, maybe to that point where you were still in the army, you know, you were, hey, you know, I'm going to buy some properties, do some stuff on my own. If you were able to have a sit down with your younger self and being able to tell that younger Barrett one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? So interesting. I think if I was going to go ahead and, and talk to my younger self, I would say, don't get distracted. Don't follow the shiniest new object all the time. And I don't mean that in terms of looking at real estate and, and going into solar, but every day we're presented with opportunities um, and the grass always looks greener with the new opportunity. And for whatever reason, at least this is how I view myself as an entrepreneur, I'm super self-motivated. I'm a self-starter. I get excited. I'm passionate about, about things that, that I want to do. And the issue with that is that can sometimes be a double-edged sword where you're working on a project or you're working at the task at hand, but something else kind of comes across and you get excited about it. You know why? Because it's new. It's unknown. It's, it's just kind of that. It's almost like a first date, if you will. And that sometimes is a detriment. And I was, I think about myself today where I'm extremely disciplined, I'm extremely focused, I know what's the most important thing to focus on almost every day. That is a total, that's totally different than how I was in, 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 my, in my 20s and just starting out. I was always the most excited about, about the new thing, whether it was like I was trying to refinance one of my, my properties in Durham, but then someone said, hey, there's like a hotel for sale in Florida. And you're like, wow, I want to go look at that. And that's, that's, not, that's not the way to go ahead and do it. That's what I'd be telling myself. Now, for the people that are listening, Barrett, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, they can go ahead and, and, and send me a, an email. So my email is B-B-I-L-O-T-T-A at agilitasenergy.com. 
Amazing. And are you also active on social media like LinkedIn or anything else? Yes. And I'm also on LinkedIn, of course, is Barrett Bellotta. Um, And then Agilitas Energy has its own Twitter account as well. So you can follow us there for, for updates. And Agilitas Energy also has its own LinkedIn page as well. So so to the extent you want to see all the new activities we got going on, we, we'd love to have you along for the ride. And yeah, of course, I'm, I'm always happy to answer questions. Love to help aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, that's one of the things that I, I want to give back the most is, is continuing to help other individuals achieve what they want to achieve in, in business. So happy to happy to, to lend an ear and give advice to the extent I'm valuable. Amazing. Well, Barry, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you and, and really appreciate the conversation. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.